0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But, Dan, the annuals don't count. And also, Dan, it's good to be back on a live show with you. I'm sorry I missed the last one.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry you missed it, too. It was a great time talking to Ron Friend's. Like I said, I'm happy to have you back. Having those rare one-offs where you're not there is is okay every now and again, but I miss the heart of this show. Also, a a thank you to everybody who is joining us as well, listening in, tuning in on YouTube, wherever you're joining us for the fourth episode of Season 5 of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe.
1: Yeah, Dan, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, more or less, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So it's the perfect time to start listening.
0: Yeah. In this season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we're going back to the mid-'80s when comics were changing, embracing new visual styles, aging up with their audience, and ditching formulas that had defined serialized superheroes for decades. For Spider-Man, that change came with the beloved run of Roger Stern and John Romita Jr., a short but unforgettable series of comics whose impacts are still felt in today's webbed adventures. And in today's episode, we're donning our best black leather jumpsuits and furry collars as we discuss the kink legend that is Felicia Hardy, aka the Black Cat.
1: Oh man, Dan, I just got a visual and I can't get it out of my I head. Apologize. Now. Yes, the black cat has been, <laughs> The black cat has been a prominent supporting character in Spider-Man comics for decades and even now has her own beloved solo series. Her character has been notable for many reasons, providing an on-again, off-again love interest for Spider-Man, a thorn in his side, and of course, a sexy bedfellow. We'll be discussing all of those things, but we'll be taking a particular look at her role as the co-star of the spectacular Spider-Man comics in the mid-80s, which is approximately issues spectacular number 73 to 100, and how it was this period of comics that launched her to superstardom.
0: Yeah. Well, Mark, the Black Cat, you know, one of the staples of Spider-Man comics, you know, moving forward on again off again. But I I think in terms of like when you think about the Spider-Man character, she's one of the like major supporting cast characters that I think most fans know about or have some reverence for. So let's get into it, Mark. We're talking the Black Cat today, a character we've kind of been a bit hands off of. Other than some uh, new issue reviews that we've done. We did talk about her creation a little while ago. So Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about the creation of this character again for those who may have missed or forgotten uh, what we talked about in previous episodes. Back in season four, when we
1: were talking about the the Marv Wolfman and Denny O'Neill runs, we've talked about this before, Dan, but Marv Wolfman uh, created Black Cat and Amazing Spider-Man number 194. Well, that was her first appearance. He actually created her prior to that to be a villain in Spider-Woman, uh, and it was based on the Tex Avery cartoon, Bad Luck Blackie. However, when his writing duties changed and he was no longer writing Spider-Woman, he decided to bring her over to Amazing Spider-Man and then also had her redesigned completely by Dave Cockrum, because that's the other thing, too. Her initial design, uh, which you could see like in the letters page of 194, she's kind of a, I don't know, how would you describe it? Kind of like a period, it's like very period, it's completely different than what we were used to see. you know, what we see now with Black Cat. I mean, you know, wasn't even, it wasn't even that. a black, yeah, completely, you know, look, she looked like a a, a woman from like the 30s or something. <laughs> In her initial stories uh, during the the Wolfman and then the O'Neill runs, she was kind of portrayed as like a head case, basically. She was really confused, potentially mentally ill, kind of had a fixation on her father, basically trying to get her father out of jail so he wouldn't die there, but re- rather so she could you know die at home with his family and stuff like that. So, you know, there was like some potential... Love interest and romance there, but it really, I mean, it was more that she was just kind of a femme fatale, you know, thorn in the side who, you know, and, and, and not a lot of depth to the character either. I mean, kind of, kind of one dimensional. Am I, am I, am I underselling the pre, pre Roger Stern slash Bill Matlow black Cat to you, Dan?
0: (laughs) No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, there was maybe hints at something more like deep than just kind of like a a fascination with Spider-Man going on there. Although I think a lot of the mental illness stuff was kind of retconned uh, away later in a story we're going to talk about in a moment. You know, or at least kind of like swept under the rug. It is weird to go back and read these, you know, starting issues where, you know, where she's introduced and see the kind of problematic portrayal of her. Not that Black Cat has has avoided problematic portrayals over the years, but, like, you know, seeing that the basis of her relationship with Spider-Man seemed to be based in some kind of mental illness is is something that, like, I'm glad that we've kind of moved past.
1: Yeah. I mean, weren't there even like some some scenes where she was like kind of like his fan club or something? It was weird. It wasn't, you know, it was not, they were not viewed as as equals in any sense of the word. It was, you know, she she, she was coming from a position of, like you said, mental illness and just weakness in some way. So the character would eventually be elevated with the beginning of this run. And actually, I mean, while we said in the intro we're going to be mainly focused on Spectacular Spider-Man, which is where the, really where the romance and the storyline was was further developed and fleshed out, but like none of this would have been possible without a two-parter from uh, Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, 226 and 227 and Dan like like shame on me I completely forgot that we put this up as an essential a couple years ago when we were doing that series I'm assuming it was not eventually voted in huh
0: (laughs) yeah I can't I I can't remember honestly which which goes to show how long this stuff lingers in our minds but uh, that that episode does exist where things were canonized you're right I don't think this one was but it is a really great story obviously we included it in the essentials list
1: Right. I mean, it's a really great story, but like kind of to what I'm about to kind of set up here, I mean, like, I think the entire foundation and basis of the relationship that we're going to discuss in Spectacular is not possible without this story. I mean, like, because Stern comes in and, you know, like MJ's out of the picture. Gwen has been deceased for a while. You know, Spider-Man has kind of had these. Weird failed romances with um, Deb Whitman and oh, I'm trying to remember the was it someone from the from the school right the the one of the like oh I forget. I don't now, think he but, ever had a romance point,
0: with you're thinking about oh my God, I'm forgetting your name too with the with the fake hair. I don't think they ever had a romance more than they had kind of like a
1: there was like a flirtation there I think, you know what I mean? Like and I think he like even kind of throws her out there as like, oh, you know, like kind of thinking, you know, like, you know, the the floating heads of Marcy. of shame, guilt and I guess yes, Marcy. You know, the floating heads of 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 shame, guilt and and, and ro- apparently romance when it comes to Peter. He 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 kind of puts her out there at one point. But this two parter basically really fleshes out Felicia. They kind of Take away, kind of like you say, recon out the mental illness element. You know, actually, like the the story starts with her in in the mental hospital, and she stages a a, a breakout. Basically, because she's just like getting, you know, she faked her way in there and then gets bored. <laughs>
0: she's very like, unkind to I, one of the nurses there. It's something that I remember, yes, quite vividly.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's she puts a nice sign on her that says, "I am a fat slob," which is like, whoa. <laughs> wouldn't get, wouldn't see that today? <laughs> no, you would not. One of the things that I feel like Stern and Ramita do here is, you know, they kind of show Felicia with all of her her stolen treasures and goods and you know like they she you Felicia's basically saying like yeah you know I have a good life here uh you know I got I got money I got I got you know I got stuff that I want to have adventure but something is missing and you know that's something she decides on is is Spider-Man. Is you know because she doesn't know who Spider-Man is at this point. You know she she clearly wants something more out of her life. Like you know money alone is not doing it for her and she feels like And actually, like what kind of sets this up is there's this great scene where she's in a laundromat and like some random guy starts to hit on her. And she's like, no, 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 I want I want something more extraordinary. And and she chooses Spider-Man and basically like goes to him and says, what if I went straight? Can we make this work? And, you know, how did that work out for Peter?
0: Not particularly well. (laughs) I mean, he I mean, rightfully so. Peter is skeptical, you know, from from the start. I mean, I think he can relate to her, which is kind of interesting in that like he's been miscast as as a menace and a criminal. And so I think he wants to give her the benefit of the doubt. But like she, you know, immediately, you know, kind of goes wrong, even though it's she she can justify it as like I'm stealing for us or for our relationship or something. But, you know, obviously she crosses that line again.
1: And she's basically stealing from other criminals, too, which I think is part of it, too. I mean, it's not like not necessarily Robin Hood. Like she's not stealing from the rich to give to the poor. She's giving it to herself. But like, she yeah, part of her justification is like, look, these like there's like this painting that she gets. And he's like, well, how'd you get it? Like, like, or how did they get it? She's like, they stole it. You know, like this is just kind of her world, you know, like um, and she's. She's kind of coming out of it as like you know, well, I can I can use these things to give us this life, and I'm I'm a good person inherently because I'm not a criminal the way those people are. But like you know, it, it, it sets up a great moral conundrum for for Peter, of course, because it's like you know where you know he he is someone that is that is built on the foundation that shades of gray get him into trouble <laughs> so it's like you know how how could you know how, how does he excuse her you know not others or, and and you know just because he he has feelings for her and like you know he you know he also kind of goes back and forth with this idea is it do i just am i just attracted to her or is there something more but like you get the sense that i think peter peter likes the idea of being with someone like her you know <laughs> and we could talk about whether that's right or wrong <laughs> but you know what i mean like it's it's you know like he definitely admits like he's attracted to her and you know we're the way felicia is portrayed even here before she becomes like the total cheesecake idol that she becomes down the line in in comics uh, you know like we're you know She's drawn attractively. She's meant to be attractive. You know what I mean? Like it's not this is not a, a, a reach by any stretch. It's not like Peter is not being like, you know, seen 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 her for her heart and soul instead of her person you know. He like, she has she doesn't necessarily just have a nice personality, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean
0: he believes in it enough that he even goes to Gene DeWolf to ask for like a amnesty for Felicia. And that leads to, like, the really great ending to this issue on the kind of, like, dock side, where he, Spider-Man finally realizes she's not going to change. Webs are up. But she, rather than going in quietly, she decides to jump into the water and, and well, I, I don't know that she's making a suicidal choice, but at the time it's portrayed that way. And she, you know, appears to have drowned. But, you know, no body means no body. I was say... There is no body,
1: right, Wilson Fisk? Yeah, but there's that great,
0: and the art is really, like, wonderfully done there with, like, uh, you know, Gene DeWolf shows up at the last minute, and she's got amnesty for Felicia, and you've just got this kind of silent, really uh, melodramatic endings of, like, them standing on the dock, and there's really no answer. One of the better endings to a Spider-Man comic of, of all time, I think.
1: It's such a Spider-Man ending, too. I mean, in addition to being so artfully done, it's like, I mean, it really has all of the elements of like the bad luck Spider-Man ending akin to, you know, the death of Gwen and the death of Uncle Ben, because it's like, you know, Peter, Peter webs her up. So he, you know, and when she goes into the water and, and, you know, he even says, like, she won't be able to survive with my webbing on her. It's too strong. So like, you know, he feels the the guilt and responsibility and then, yeah, the top it off. It's like and then here comes Jean DeWolf with like the you know, the, the 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 MacGuffin piece of paper that could have possibly had given them both the happy ending they wanted if he didn't just Act impulsively. And I mean, I don't even say it's acting impulsively. Like, I mean, like for Peter, he didn't think, I guess, that Gene DeWolf was going to come through. And it was like, I can't keep doing this. I have to, we, you have to go, you have to go back in, you know, like you can't, you can't, we can't do this. So, you know, it's Peter acting from the moral high ground. And, you know, in his mind, he, you know, because of that, he killed her when if he had just waited a little longer, maybe they could have done, had a happy ending. So, Like, you know, like you said, it's a great ending in the Spider-Man comic. It's also just like that quintessential, wow, Peter just can't win ending. Yeah,
0: classically fleeting. And
1: and, yeah, exactly. Probably (laughs) not saying that that we should have necessarily ended the story here. I mean, like you said, there was no body. So clearly, you know, the door was wide, wide open for someone to come in and, and write Felicia. But if the story had ended here great ending for the character but of course it doesn't end there because then our episode would be ending dan and what else would we have to talk about (laughs) well we're out of
0: topics to talk about with spider-man no but um bill mantlow al milgram and jim mooney would bring her back in spectacular 74 which is one of those issues whose cover you just kind of have to see to believe this is not related (laughs) to black cat but i think it's worth mentioning it's the uh Deborah Deborah Whitman is going insane cover with Spider-Man kind of pulling her face apart. This is one of those issues that's like, I know we haven't done a whole episode on Deb Whitman, but maybe this will be worth revisiting someday. Is like his his identity got kind of leaked to Deb Whitman, who had suspected for a while. Uh, The way to undo it is like Spider-Man kind of tricks her into believing that she's gone insane. This is the cover for it. You know, I I think it's a particularly brutal issue to one of the female cast members. It's not aged well, but it is significant in in that purpose and for bringing Black Cat back.
1: I mean, the fact of the matter is, Dan. I mean, you we we've heard the word the the term gaslighting a lot in in, in, in this is legitimate gaslighting. This issue. <laughs> like like Spider Man gaslights Deb Whitman. Oops! Like you said, not 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 something that probably uh, you would see in comics in 2021 or probably <laughs> anything after. Well, even the even year the covers maybe text,
0: even the covers text isn't kind to her. It says, "This is it, the mind shattering conclusion to the Dev Whitman saga." Yeah, mind shattering hers, not yours. I'm not trying to
1: to yada 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 Deb Whitman, but putting that aside again. <laughs> but uh, of course, this. This story, it's, I, I believe, considered the second installment of the storyline, The Owl-Octopus Wars, which we've talked about many, many moons ago. And we're going to be talking about, it again, spoiler alert, uh, down the line here this season. So The Owl-Octopus Wars is a brief synopsis. The the the, the owl and the kingpin and, you know, the, the, the mob... The You know, the mob bosses of the, you know, Marvel New York underworld are basically chasing this MacGuffin that Doc Ock is also after. You know, the difference is, you know, like, and it's something that can destroy the entire city. I always found this funny, you know, Owl, Owl and them, they just want it to kind of like blackmail people in power in New York to get, you know, rich and all that. Whereas Otto is like, no, no, I want it because I just want to kill everybody. Because <laughs> that's Doc Ock for you. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't want power or money. He just wants to kill everyone. <laughs> Felicia basically returns from from the dead, <laughs> or the presumed dead, and of course, in in typical Felicia Hardy fashion, is like right in the middle of this. She has possession of the MacGuffin here. This storyline really sets up. I mean, first of all, I mean, I shouldn't say it sets up the romance. I mean, they become a, Spider-Man and Black Cat become an item during this storyline, and 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 the way it's set up here, it's actually kind of sweet, you know, because Felicia's in the middle of of all this, she she gets like gunned down. It's actually kind of, it's I mean, it's a little absurd. Like she gets like shot by like. Like it seems like there's like fifty Doc Ock henchmen just like shooting her. <laughs> it's really bad, uh, and you're kind of like, how the hell does she survive this? And but she, but that's the point. She's like on death's doorstep, and she's in the hospital. But Spider Man is just like totally doting on her in in the hospital. You know, he's just you know like completely, like like just very caring in a way that you've never seen Spider Man care for somebody. I mean, certainly Spider Man care for somebody, but even Peter out of costume i mean that's kind of always been his mo is that with gwen or mj or whatever like he could only go so far and it's like it's almost like being spider-man with felicia here has kind of liberated him to be the caring partner to somebody that he never was able to be with gwen or, or mj i mean is that is that a reach for you dan or does that make sense
0: I think that's the appeal of the relationship is just like exploring, you know, what if someone could fend for themselves, which is interesting because this story basically closes the book on that. And yet we kind of continue down that road. Like as soon as she's reintroduced, right. She is and and is typical of Spider-Man comics uh, up until this point in the history. You know, the book saves its most brutality for the women in Spider-Man's life. You know, I'm looking at the cover to, Spectacular Spider Man 76. And, you know, I, I might be wrong about this, but can you think of a cover that predates this that has this much kind of like graphic blood on, on, on the cover? I mean, they, it is brutal. He has, you know, like the Pieta holding Gwen in his arms, not Gwen, rather, Felicia. And she's just like right, leading. Similar, on the ground. it's
1: similar to what we got on one twenty two. So that's probably why you said Gwen. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> without the blood though on one twenty two.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, or just like the just Frank violence against women in, in these comics. I'm, I'm not necessarily taking a ton of uh, issue with that because it is a supporting cast member, and this is the theme they're looking to explore. But this book is pretty brutal towards Felicia Hardy in in the several epi- uh, issues.
1: It, it's brutal to her, but like, you you, you don't quite ever see Peter just kind of go to bat for a woman like this. before. <laughs> uh, you know, like, you know, there's this great scene, and I think it's the, it's at the end of, it's like the penultimate issue of Owl Octopus. And again, we'll talk about this when we talk about Owl Octopus in greater detail, but Peter is kind of awaiting the arrival of Otto, who is out for Peter's blood uh, after uh, Spider-Man humiliates him earlier uh, in the storyline during a fight. And, you know, he's like, you know, basically in the hospital room with with Felicia, you know, watching the window. And then finally Otto shows up and he kind of just leaps out the window, uh, you know, like ready to just risk it all because it's like, you know, not only is this like his mortal enemy, but it's like he's just so fired up based on what Doc Ock and his goons did to, to Black Cat that, you know, like he just like he's just ready to to risk it all for this woman. And like it's it's kind of astonishing to see because you just don't see that selflessness from from Spider-Man ever for a love interest like you just don't. I mean, like that's kind of again been the MO of the character is that. He, he can't truly give all of himself to somebody else because of the, the dueling responsibilities of his human self and his, his superhero self. This story ends and, you know, Spider-Man is, of course, victorious. And, it, you know, now this is the status quo. It's Spider-Man and Black Hat and... It kind of goes off the rails from here, right, Dan? <laughs> like, like, what do you, what do you think? I mean, you know, we've 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 joked about this so many times over the past. I'm like, you know, how do how do how do we actually have a serious conversation about this now? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just
0: just to, to reiterate, like the status quo changes, and they're like a couple uh, officially, even though Felicia is kind of bound to a bed for most of. this. She's healing, and they 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 describe it. You know, she's got like all these stitches and tears in her side and things that she can't leave the bed, you know. And yet she does, obviously. But it it is funny that, like, you'd think the appeal of, you know, them as a couple would be seeing them adventure together. But we almost never get really much of that at all. She is just immediately confined to a hospital room that he she becomes another almost like Aunt May figure where he's got, well, I've got to go check in on Black Cat because I don't want her to think that I'm ignoring her. Way to sideline the potential of a relationship in a book than making her like a nag essentially for him. Although I don't think that she's written that way. She's very supportive and he when he shows up in and out of the window, you know, she's very excited to see him. But it is silly and there are some very silly you know a- aspects to it Which I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, Down the line
1: You know but like even once she heals up Or I mean I don't know I don't know if she truly heals up She she basically busts out And you know is like You know even though she's kind of Portrayed as being too weak to do it She's like no 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 I, 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 I'm I good I'm ready And you know let's be partners And I this does set up I think one one of my favorite Lines from Peter He's like he's like I th- or I think she says I'll be your sidekick, and he's like sidekick, sidekick like Bucky. <laughs> it's like yeah, like Bucky. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, just, so going back, um, you know, like a- as a couple, you know, she's kind of like Spider Man's first girlfriend, as opposed to like Peter Parker's first girlfriend. Like I mean, it's it's that exclusive, and she makes it that clear that that's how she wants it to be. Now, we have a great quote here from Ron Friends who said. She's the bad girl we've all had to go around with. Uh, I don't know if that's true for me necessarily. Are you, Mark?
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's true for me. Either, I want to know but, what's hey, going on with I mean, Ron
0: Friend's life. But good th- for you, Ron. I, I, we should have called. We should have <laughs> asked him about that when he was on the other week. You know, the eternal question, other than just is she fit enough to, you know, uh, fight crime alongside me, is from Peter. Is does he love her as Peter or as Spider Man? And and. Vice versa. You know, does she only love him for Spider-Man and want nothing to do with Peter? And I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, a, a, a benchmark for, for this relationship is it's kind of more about the thrill and the adventure of it and the physical attraction than it is any kind of like real relating to each other on any kind of means be, level beyond that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the thrill, it's the adventure, and frankly, it's also the fact that you know, kind of as I alluded to earlier, that you know, for the first time in his life, Peter, even though she doesn't know that he's Peter, Peter doesn't have to basically hide being Spider-Man from somebody. You know what I mean? Like it's the opposite. He has to hide being Peter. <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 this weird weird reversal of it. But like you know, I I, I would have to imagine putting myself in the shoes of this fictitious character that that's got to be like the most freeing thing in the world for for Peter you know like like he has literally lived you know his entire life since he was 15 with this weird you know shadow hanging over him that has not that has completely affected every single interpersonal relationship that he's ever had this is the first time that's all been turned on its head, so yeah. And and, and of course, again, they, they 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 always keep addressing the attraction element of it, but it, you know, it's it's thrills, it's adventure, it's attraction, and it's just that that liberation. But uh, like you alluded to too, Dan Felicia is not attracted, not necessarily attracted to the person under the mask, which is kind of weird. And 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 then what happens, in fact, when when Peter reveals himself to Felicia.
0: It doesn't go well. She like basically tells him to like put the mask back on immediately. And she kind of freaks out. It's, it's, it's rendered on the page really interesting that she almost like shrinks into the background, uh, re- recoiling from him when, when, uh, she sees the face and the way he's drawn, he's drawn like a Ken doll. Like this is like kind of emotionless face. And, uh, it honestly, it is like kind of the opposite of the dangerous throw ride that she thought she was with. Like, here's this guy like with this nicely parted hair. <laughs> I don't know. I just think the rendering of it is <laughs> kind of funny.
1: The joke is, has long been, you know, ever since John Ramita took over the book, like is, is Peter too handsome? <laughs> it's like, you know, like here, here, like, yeah, he's like you said, he's being portrayed as like this handsome Ken doll. And it's like, ah, it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember my my, my sequence here. Uh, I, think, I think it was before he revealed himself to Felicia that, you know, just to kind of ex- demonstrate just how far this relationship went in terms of Felicia really being interested in Spider-Man here. She introduces Peter to her mother, in full costume, and and if memory serves, this is like your all-time favorite moment in comics, Dan?
0: <laughs> I've brought this up on the show many times before, <laughs> how absurd uh, I, I, I find this to be. Uh, she like dolls herself up, she's not even in costume, her mother comes over to, the, to, to meet Spider-Man, like, and it's treated just like... It's a normal meeting between any two people. Uh, like, the mother is, like, approving. She's like, oh, yeah, there's this guy in a costume. Like, I'm totally cool with, like... You know, it's drawn kind of, like, romance comic of them, like, swinging off into, like, the night. Like, the mother's like, I know you and Felicia will be happy together. It's just so absurd and handled so, like, nonchalantly. I This always makes me laugh every time I revisit this comic. It's just... The height of absurdity, uh, uh, and really, like Bill Mantlo, like what's going on with your relationships, man? Like, I, I, I just, it's such a strange way to present this.
1: Here's the thing to always keep in mind when it comes to Bill Mantlo and his writing in these comics. This is the guy that created Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> so, <laughs> and if you've ever read those comics where he was created, I mean, that makes the movie look pretty normal by comparison (laughs) so this
0: was this was a very creative mind of the era for sure i can't think Uh, if we even ever meet felicia's mother again ever again like is this the only appearance of this character
1: i kind of hope it is because i feel like (laughs) this is how it needs to be
0: (laughs) yeah uh, (laughs) it's so absurd she like I, I, I just go, if you haven't seen it, like seek it out or go on our YouTube version of the show and like check out this image. It's so weird. It has to be seen. and I've made it up like a punching bag of mine over the years. I think it is one of the stranger breaks in tone that this, you know, you can have Spider-Man going into outer space and I will like probably not bat an eye. But having Felicia like doll herself up and introduce Spider-Man to her mother is and get that like a good approval from that is just it's too much too far for me i can't i can't do it
1: you know i i just feel like anytime i've ever talked about this run of comics dan because i i I gotta admit like i mean i'm trying to think more critically about it for the purposes of this episode but like as a fan i kind of like these comics (laughs) they're kind of they're kind of quirky and fun and and the black cat Spider-Man dynamic is kind of fun and different, uh, especially when you kind of read it in the context of what came before it in terms of Spider-Man and Peter and his relationships. But I feel like anytime I've ever brought this up in a semi-positive light, you've always been like, until he meets her mother. <laughs> and it's like, yes, dad. I mean, yes,
0: I mean it's dad. important to <laughs> note as you say that is like how much this relationship dominated these 20 plus issues of spectacular I mean it really felt like a spider-man black cat romance book you know so many of the pages were dedicated often quite boring I think like to them talking in her hospital room or whatever and I agree with you I like this run too I I just I, I it, it's it's an easy thing to beat up on but I, I think it actually really gave spectacular like like a heart and soul of its own too like it it it, it had a con- narrative consistency that allowed it to do something differently than amazing spider-man which wasn't interested in this story really at all. And yeah,
1: I mean that's the thing. Like amazing really didn't touch on it. I mean, like there is there's even that there's that one Hobgoblin issue from Spectacular that's I think I think it ties into the second Stern Hobgoblin story. So not the you know not the origin not not the first the first story this you know I mean, not the one before Stern left the book but that middle like one
0: issues two forty one or whatever
1: yeah yeah there's a spectacular issue kind of sandwiched in the middle of that uh, where we show like the hobgoblin kind of taking the goblin serum and upgrading his powers and and Felicia shows up in there and it's kind of like oh right you know like she's in she's been in this this universe for a while now. Uh, but yeah, like even though Stern sets this all up with those two ASM issues in the in the 220s, like once once he's done once he presumably kills her, he doesn't really touch it. And in fact, he even brings MJ back at one point. I mean, more is kind of like, Oh, here's trouble on the horizon for Peter, the old love is back. But like, you know, you really don't see much much Felicia in ASM, which is kind of weird. But like, in addition to like the 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 love dynamic and meeting the parents. You know, the other thing that kind of comes up a lot in these issues is this idea of, you know, and I, I, I talked about the joke about Bucky earlier, but this joke of like Spider-Man and Black Cat as either partners or her as a sidekick, however you want to you interpret it. And again, like you could talk about whether or not this was truly well executed in these books. And in retrospect, it wasn't. But like this was setting up a completely new dynamic for a Spider-Man comic here. I mean, like, you know, we have kind of seen this in other books. I know, like, Daredevil and Black Widow had had teamed up for a time being. I think that was the Jerry Conway run uh, on Daredevil. But, like, you never really saw... I mean, Spider-Man has always, frankly, been a loner, despite having the main character in Marvel team up. But, <laughs> but beyond that, like, to have a woman kind of teaming up with him was, was, was very foreign because, like, women as we've already talked about with some of these books, the women in Spider-Man's life have always been treated as like, you know, collateral damage, basically. So it was like, oh, wow, to kind of treat someone as an equal, you know, a female as an equal to, to, to Spider-Man is impressive. But they still kind of just like, you know, old habits die hard. And I feel like in a lot of the early stories, Fel- you know, with, with the two of them together, Felicia's just kind of like doing her thing until she inevitably screws up and almost you know, kills herself or kills Spider-Man. And then, you know, like, and basically it leads to her having to seek getting powers from the Kingpin, which truly marks like the beginning of the end of the relationship. But like, that's, you know, like I said, it's kind of unfortunate that like they couldn't really play with the dynamic that the two of them could, could work together in a meaningful way. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Dan?
0: I think that's accurate. I think, you know, we, we, we never get to see this relationship entirely, fulfilled like the promise of it and and when we do see them like you said it falls back into these old tropes of like is she more a hindrance than a help you know i think that's interesting but it does hang around that for quite a bit of time and then it kind of just throws her under the bus where it has her like you said seek out the kingpin and and you can right you see the relationship end before it even does because you know that this is going to come to no good like her relationship with the Kingpin is going to find its way back to us and doom their relationship, which it ultimately does, right? Like Spider-Man finds out, and it causes this big rift between them, which is actually drawn as a rift. They're like, you know, pa- a yeah. panel separation, They're like pushing apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where, like, I would say, like the prime relationship between Spider-Man and Black Cat ends, and hasn't been revisited in over thirty years to this level. Which is interesting because people really do, you know, classify this as like a, a top three relationship for Spider-Man. You know, I, I guess it's not really that surprising in that like m- the other relationship, Gwen, is has so passed. You know, Black Hat does remain a, a fairly active figure in Spider-Man's life. And we'll talk about some of the times they've kind of picked up and play with it a little bit. But um, in the meantime, Mark, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about our Slack?
1: Yeah, sure thing, Dan. Uh, Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more.
0: Yeah, I'm there all the time. Just this week, we were discussing the announcement of Sinister War. That's uh, the new Amazing Spider-Man story that's going to be happening coinciding with the normal books fun so if you want to discuss that and your feelings about that why don't you come join our awesome spider-man community just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi and uh once you're there be sure to let us know what you thought of this episode you're watching or listening to right now so mark the um the thing you know i think it's important to talk about is you know this, this relationship was kind of doomed to fail. I guess I'm I'm curious, you know, we've not really talked that much about Black Cat, but I, I think it's fair to say that, like, we also aren't rooting for this relationship as a podcast. It's not, like, our favorite in terms of how it's interpreted in the books, even though we can enjoy the issues where it lasted. You know, why, why do we feel like the Spider-Man-Black Cat relationship ultimately doesn't work both in the comics and for us, as it seems fated to have not worked.
1: I think first of all, before we even get into like the actual content, I mean, it's worth noting part of the reason it didn't work was this, this relationship kind of ran up against that editorially weird period in Spider-Man. I mean, this kind of post dates the full run that we're talking about as the arc of the season. But I mean, it's worth noting that like, you know, that kind of like the mid eighties, like there, there's actually, there's an issue where Peter David had taken over for spectacular post Bill Mantlo where he kind of reunites them. And then like, but by that point, like it, it's not explored in any of the other books. So it kind of like gets forgotten. And the same thing that happens with Jim Owsley slash Christopher Priest during Spider-Man Wolverine where at the very end, you know, cause that, that, that kind of, starts off with Peter maybe wanting to get back together with MJ and, you know, realizing that he, he can't as Spider-Man. And then it's like, he goes back to his apartment and, and Felicia's there. But again, you know, then within three issues of amazing Spider-Man, Peter is proposing and getting married to MJ. So again, it's like, what? Um, so, it, it it just like you know there was like a lot of conflicting stuff. Obviously the the Christopher Priest era when we spoke to him at Terrificon in twenty eighteen we asked him about that and it just seemed like a just seemed like a hell of a time to be on Spider Man <laughs> <laughs> say uh, the that book. It, it went beyond just the Hobgoblin, so that was part of the reason it was doomed to fail. But 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 structurally, you know, frankly, and and you know. I think you probably will agree with this, Dan, but, you know, maybe others will not. I just feel like the formula ran its course very quickly with the two of them. I mean, like, you know, you kind of break down most of the stories between Spider-Man and Felicia and it's like, you know, are you going to go straight? Yeah, but she doesn't. And it's like, rinse, repeat, you know, <laughs> like, it's, <just laughs> like, it's like, we keep, we keep going on that carousel. Um, what fun is and, a black
0: cat character that goes straight?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, she, she, you know, like she says she will and she doesn't. And then Sp- spider Man's like, Oh, well, you know, Lucy, you're going to hold the football this time. You know, <laughs> like it's just like, you know, so th- there's that part of it. I think that that got tired very quickly. And then frankly, like the other thing that kind of got tired very quickly was it, it, it was very, very clear from both ends that like neither character was really attracted to the other under the mask. that, still had potential for good stories like i feel like that dynamic is is never really explored i mean you could say it's kind of explored in al octopus but like in retrospect you know now that i i'm I'm thinking about what we talked about earlier i mean you're right i mean most of al octopus she's in a bed you know and she's like you know it's like she's not the black cat she's just a normal person so that's probably why the relationship feels the most real there because she, it's like the one time in this book where like Ashley seems like someone cares about the other under the mask, but all the other times it's like, it's like, it's, it's so clear that this is very frivolous and shallow and you can argue was Pierre had did he have a more meaningful relationship with Gwen or MJ at certain points in the book? And maybe he didn't, but like, I don't know, like, like considering the potentials for the storyline, for stories here that were not really explored, you know, what was the point then of doing this? So I think that's why, I mean, for me at least, that's why this this doesn't work. I feel like, you know, no one really took these stories to another level that would make it feel meaningful and real and it just got repetitive like the same tropes over and over again with these two characters
0: in retrospect she has an interesting kind of place to play in uh, the love life of spider-man where you've got kind of the like gwen stacy who hates spider-man but loves peter and you've got uh, the black cat that you know is the complete opposite uh, not only in terms of like you know, Gwen is kind of a timid, you know, damsel in distress character. Black Cat has moments of not being that and being able to fight alongside Spider Man, but she also loves Spider Man and not Peter. And then, you know, you could maybe slot MJ dead in the middle between the two of them that embraces all aspects of Spider Man's personality or Peter's personality and, you know, the roles in their lives. So, you yeah, know, you kind of build this interesting, you know, spectrum between Gwen and uh, Black Cat and ultimately you land somewhere in the middle with MJ. You know, if if that was her function, I think she served that function well. And, you know, once you land on MJ, it's hard to really kind of go back except for kind of like a fling here and there, which ultimately is a lot of how she would be used after that. And also there's really no coming back from introducing Peter to your mother in a Spider-Man costume. I mean. Well, how do you how do you recover from that? that? You know that's just the kiss of death, or your favorite moment. I mean,
1: however you want to put <laughs> yeah, it, kiss of well, exactly. death, favorite moment. Yeah, but let's also talk about. I think, like, like you alluded to. I mean, whatever we're saying about it now in retrospect. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, like, this relationship and this this run of comics. I mean, it, there's a certain legacy to it. I mean, you you can say like you know whether or not there was truly any staying power to the two of them, but like. I mean, at the very least, I feel like Spider-Man and Black Cat here kind of set the template for Spider-Man with another like superpowered character. And we would see this a couple of times, in, you know, whether it's in this universe or like alternate ones, like you had Spider-Man and Kitty Pride in Ultimate. I thought that was a lot of fun, that relationship. Yeah, re- really um, good. And
0: that's another instance of like he likes her, but it's clear he likes MJ better. The reason that one worked so well for me, I, I I thought, although I I think there is some kind of like kind of icky implications of that, but like the interesting thing is like Peter is with Kitty because uh, because she's powered, and it's right after MJ almost gets hurt or gets hurt, you know, in a in a battle. Kitty is intangible, so it's it a really smart setup with uh, Bendis put there, but. He clearly loves MJ, but it's with Kitty because of her powers. And it's an interesting way of kind of inverting that that idea. And then, I mean, some other kind of potential couples. I mean, this one,
1: they never actually I think they went on a date it was uh, Spider-Man and Carol Danvers. But I feel like part, I mean, I feel like that was one of those like the fans kind of push that into happening at least in terms of a date. Like the fans wanted that to happen for a period, or am I imagining that? Like I feel like there was like a push for that at some point, right?
0: Yeah, but it never went anywhere. I mean it was a side story. If you weren't reading the B books, you you would totally miss it altogether.
1: Under Dan Slot we had Spider-Man and Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird. Kind of a cheat here, but like I, I, I it, as I was like thinking of like what were some other like super powered women that that peter was with and then i thought of in the volume two of renew your vows like you know mj kind of they, they they shared the powers like as the spider family and it was like okay that kind of counts
0: <laughs> so i i count i'm counting it for the purposes of this podcast <laughs> you know but after this run you know i don't think felicia would ever return to the same glory again and I think they do some kind of like really strange things with her. Like one of the big ones is that she dates Flash Thompson, which is kind of a fun moment, but also kind of like weirdly antagonistic from a character that I thought was a bit sweeter than that. I think this is where you really get the Black Cat character kind of turning a corner into being, I don't know if vindictive is the right word, but she has kind of like a bad streak to her that we hadn't really seen a ton of uh, up until this point Like I think the Spectacular run Really kind of softened her uh, A lot uh, you know I think Her dating Flash it's pretty uh, You know aggressive uh, of her And and poor Flash is just kind of Clueless <laughs> to, to This whole thing yeah it, These are some fun stories that she's trying to Make Peter jealous you know in, in, uh, in his like relationship With MJ that you know She's reappearing back in her life and Peter For his credit I think does isn't interested in her at all, and doesn't really feel jealous all that much more than he's like, this is really uncomfortable." And how do I get this out of my life? And I feel MJ is the same; like she's
1: not too caught up about it. Like you know what I mean? Like it, it, you know, I mean, I think there's a comment here and there, but it is worth noting. I mean, and this is kind of you know bad bad on Peter that uh, the way the, the 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 way that Felicia found out that Peter got married was. She got the, the crap kicked out of her by Venom, like like her face smashed up against a wall. I mean, it's actually, I mean, talk about brutality. I mean, that is about as brutal as it gets. That scene from, I think it was 316 or 317 of ASM, this great McFarlane scene. And as like Venom is like walking away from like the shattered wreckage of her body, he's like, I'll go talk to the wife or something like that. And she's like, wife. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, you know, like, good job, Peter. You couldn't have sent her a a card. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And then uh, she does also show up to kind of help Peter out in Maximum Carnage. You know, there's this sense of. Not not will they or won't they, because Peter doesn't really seem interested, but I think there's like like a brief scene where like MJ's kind of like, oh, you're teaming up with Felicia for this, huh uh, but yeah, it's like you know, like you said, like not not much followed these stories that you know in terms of what they could have gone to. I mean, you know, granted, if they went there. It would have probably felt a little too soap opery, but I mean, at the same token, it's like I mean, she is this former flame that he had this very heavy duty relationship with, and to kind of get relegated to the background like this is weird. It just
0: becomes kind of like a stand-in for the ex-girlfriend, and which is an interesting place to take it, but I don't really know that they know what to do with her in that role altogether.
1: The big question for me, and you know, and I'm not trying to like get all you know woke on anybody here, but like I mean, like. After a while, I mean, do we feel like Felicia just kind of becomes problematic? I mean, like, you know, one, uh, you know, like she starts getting used again more and more, I feel, kind of starting in like the Marvel Knights era of Marvel and Spider Man, like the 2000s when, you know, they started pushing the edginess again. And like, you know, like, frankly, when I think of Felicia, I think of like, all of the cheesecake covers by like terry dodson and j scott campbell whether it be on marvel nights or on asm during like the brand new day era i mean like it's just like it's just really in your face like her sexuality and you know like i don't know what do you think am i i'm not trying to i'm not trying to like damper anybody here but like It just seems like the only thing they're trying to sell with Felicia here is sex.
0: Yeah, I don't want to be a prude about it, but I, 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 you know, about sex or anything like that, but this is not my ideal thing. And I think ultimately ends up pushing people away from comics. You know, if I'll be totally honest, like a a girl that I was dating in high school saw my comics with Felicia in them, uh, especially the kind of like ultimate Felicia who was even, I think, even more of a cheesecake from uh, from Mark Bagley, and it basically turned her off to comics altogether. And I had a lot of kind of undigging to do in that department. And I, I, I just, I'm not a big fan of this interpretation of the character. And I, I would say up until recently, it was the predominant interpretation of this character. You know, if, if you buy any Black Cat merch, you know, chances are you're buying it for the sex appeal of it, You know, and I think it's hurt her character in the long run. You know, we, we do get some good stuff every now and again from her problematic, at least in like how they're selling her with sex. But then you've got the evil that men do storyline, which like takes that personification of her a step further. You want to tell people about that?
1: Evil That Men Do, I mean, we'll have to decide if we want to cover this when we start getting into the 2000s of our run here, Dan. But So this is uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Terry Dodson, and I mean, you know, that cover, I mean, like she's literally falling out of her jumpsuit there. It's the six-part series. People will know it for the fact that it took Kevin Smith like five years to write it. They came out with the first three issues on time and then waited 3 years <laughs> to finish it where they stopped the series halfway through is actually uh where Felicia's presumably about to get raped by somebody but also it's also worth noting earlier in this series it's like she's just like trying to make out with Peter like all over the like it's like it's like really like just sexually charged stuff i think that's also what makes the whole turn of the series into this, like, kind of PSA on, on rape and sexual assault, kind of so tonally weird, because, like, they, they play the first part of, like, hey, look, it's Felicia, she's here, she's here to, you know, kiss Peter under the mask, and, you know, make, make sexual jokes about him being a minuteman and blah, 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 and then it's, like, rape is a serious thing, and sexual abuse happens to every, you know, one in four women, and blah, 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 which is not saying that, like, that's, that's wrong or like we shouldn't be addressing these topics in comics, but it's like, it's just so tonally dissident with each other that it's like, it's, it's, it just like, you know, you're kind of like, well, what, what story are you trying to tell? It also like kind of retcons the character and, and like her motivations for becoming the black cat. I mean, we, you know, we we're talking about this earlier in the show. I mean, first it's, you know, kind of like under Marv Wolfman, it's to kind of protect her father. And then it becomes like, you know, to create this life for herself and to, to kind of find meaning in life. And the way it's written is she actually turns to a life of crime. as kind of like a, a backlash against being sexually abused when she was younger. So it's just kind of all over the place in terms of what this you know what is driving this character not to mention it's like very clumsily and poorly executed so that creates some problems with the character for sure
0: well so there you go that's that's one to check out i not, not um I, i'll
1: be honest i've actually well, the, the, the good news is you can read it you can read it all at once and it doesn't take like you know three to four years to, to, to get to the next issue so there you go
0: <laughs> yeah I, i'll be honest i haven't read it because i've heard these toxic things about it and I just have no desire to read that story. I'm sure I will someday, but it just, everything I've heard about it may, makes me not want to engage uh, with, with the content in it. You know, so she would be used off and on in various places over the years, but I would say her star really diminished for quite a while. You know, she showed up here and there in Brand New Day. There was like a Mark Wade Daredevil crossover with the book where she ended up sleeping with Daredevil, which, you know there there go again that if you're talking about that characterization uh, of her but she was also kind of like an on and off again like one night stand for peter and since she had forgotten his identity because one more day he would leave his mask on and it was kind of like a guilty you know like a, a guilt free fling that he had i'm you know surprised it didn't develop into anything more considering that they'd kind of put the genie back in the bottle you know, there was that. Then there was kind of like a couple mini series that she got. In 94, she got this Terry Cavanaugh, Joey Cavallari, Felicia Hardy is the Black Cat mini, which honestly I've not read. I barely knew it existed until earlier today. I, I did read in the 2000s, there was a Jen Van Meter, Javier Rodriguez Black Cat mini, which I remember being quite fun, if a little bit narratively all over the place. But in my mind, that series kind of started bringing the character back to like what made her great and gave her a bit of a solo spot where she was kind of a thief again and doing kind of like fancy Ocean's Eleven-esque crimes. Th- that series didn't really go anywhere, but it-, it allowed at least kind of like a resetting of the stage for Felicia. Following
1: all that in like more recent history, we kind of had Felicia, the 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 gang leader that happened following the Superior Spider-Man run. I mean, you know, a lot of people hated the characterization. I, I personally didn't love it, but it was at least something different and kind of gave her some agency beyond, you know, being everyone's bedfellow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean,
0: I guess tip your hat. <laughs> I like the new costume at the very least. I, I'm a bit disappointed that we we that costume just disappeared off page. I mean, her regular costume is very, like, well-designed in terms of, like, that icon, iconic status. But the Humberto Ramos redesign with the cat's eyes on her shoulders, I thought was at least a lot of fun while it lasted. But I guess maybe it was meant to be relegated to just while she was going evil, so to speak. It's an evil costume,
1: Dan. You can't be good in that costume. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and then,
0: you know, I, I think that her star has really kind of grown in recent years, And I think probably because Nick Spencer, you know, say what you will about Nick Spencer's run, but I think he did redeem this character largely in those several issues with the Thieves Guild and having Spider-Man, you know, re-out himself to her, you know, with her kind of admitting the kind of hurt that she felt, uh, knowing that she knew something that had been taken from her. And it gave the character a level of seriousness in Spider-Man's life and has, you know, launched the Black Cat ongoing series, her first ongoing, which I think is one of the best books that Marvel was publishing today. Uh, Jed McKay, his writing is just so great for Black Cat. And if the character could stay like that, I would be very happy. She's a really strongly written character in that regard. Outside of the
1: comics, Dan, what are some other places where we've found Felicia.
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, in the 90s, she showed up in the animated Spider-Man, the animated series. And I would say that she had a fairly prominent role there, voiced by Jennifer Hale in and out of costume. Felicia was like a key member of the supporting cast in in that series. Uh, John Semper Jr., the showrunner of that show, claims that he's behind the popularity of the character. And I would push back on that, I think, you know, maybe he he did a lot to bring her to, you know, a mainstream audience and certainly where I learned about the character when I was a kid. But I, I think I hope today that we've shown that this character had a very vibrant role in Spider-Man's life in the in the 80s. You know, yeah, in the 90s, I think Felicia, you know, was really kind of highlighted in that animated series as well. She was also originally in the script for Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi movie. But she was uh, removed. She was kind of there to kind of play the role of being the character that drew Spider-Man to being Spider-Man and away from being Peter Parker as he was kind of like losing his life. And then, you know, obviously that movie flip-flops between the two roles where Peter is not Spider-Man anymore or he's only Spider-Man. And I think they were originally setting it up as like a two-hander where it was like Mary Jane and Felicia Hardy on opposing sides of Spider-Man's heart. Um, but ultimately she was scrapped early on and pushed out of the movie. And then she was supposed to be in the Spider-Man 4 movie that never happened, but she wouldn't have been the Black Cat. She would have been the vulturess, the uh, daughter or granddaughter of the Vulture. And obviously we never saw that movie, but I know that there was a point of contention, this Vulturist character that kind of um, saw that movie maybe not exist. And then Felicity Jones plays the character in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Of course, she never suits up. Sony now says they're developing a Black Cat movie, but they've been saying that for like half a decade, so it seems like it's in like development <laughs> hell. But but honestly, I think, I think you know, more than anything, I think it's amazing we haven't gotten the Black Cat in a movie to this point. Like, it just seems like a character that's rife for potential in a Spider-Man movie. I I, I think it's insane that, that hasn't happened yet, I and mean, I wonder if it's due to the rights confusion stuff. We got a very featured role for her in that 2017 Spider-Man game. She got her own DLC. Even it's amazing, that, at least to me, that Black Cat has not made it onto the screen. It seems like a like a surefire thing.
1: I would say they would probably be struggling with it now with Tom Holland Spider-Man being back in high school. I mean, I know in Ultimate with Bendis, they kind of didn't care. But at least I think, I mean, I don't know, from a movie standpoint, I think that's a tough sell, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, the teenager would be hooking up potentially with a character like that. But you're right. I, I agree. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, probably would have worked in the, certainly in the Tobey Maguire, even the Andrew Garfield universe. And yeah, they they just never were able to pull the trigger on that. I mean, to have Felicia Hardy and Amazing Spider-Man 2, but not Black Hat I mean, you know, certainly... It's not. That's not the only thing that was wrong with that movie, <laughs> but, uh, but you could add it to the list.
0: I'm mean, <laughs> sure it was just seeded. Right, they were going to do it at some point. And Felicity Jones is a great casting choice for that. Beyond her name being so similar to Felicia Hardy, yeah. I I, I don't know. I, I think this character will at some point be on screen. You know, whether Sony gets their act together or uh, Marvel asked them to use her. In, like, an upcoming movie, however, movies they get, many movies they get with Tom Holland. But it seems like a sure bet, I would say, except for the fact that it hasn't already happened. She, she would be on my t- top of my list. You know, coming to the end of this year, Black Cat, like, what do we think of her as a character? Is she just a kind of like Me Too Catwoman, or has she kind of like taken on a life of her own? I think
1: she's taken on a life of her own. I mean, I don't think she will. Will uh, has or will ever approach the popularity of Catwoman? I mean, frankly, we got a cat, we've gotten Catwoman on TV and movies multiple times. So that's probably a big reason why we won't, (laughs) she won't. uh, And we haven't even with with Felicia yet. But, you know, I think she has her own personality and vibe. And I mean, actually, I kind of find her to be more fun than Selena Kyle, (laughs) Um, but that's maybe because I'm a Marvel fan. In general, not that this is a that the character has been misused, but like I don't know if they if the character has always been used to its fullest potential, and and that's kind of like my 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 big broad assessment of of Felicia. It's like I, I I think that was a lot of fun to be have. I think she's very unique. I think I like the way she is integrated into Spider Man's universe and kind of what she represents, and and but. I don't think she's always been well used.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. I think, like looking back on the character, it's a it's a it's a archetype that really makes sense in the Spider-Man universe. You know, the kind of like dual personality of Spider-Man and Peter Parker, and to have a character that only operates on one end of that, I think makes a lot of sense. And you know, I am fond of those spectacular issues, but I do wonder if there was like a larger chapter to be written here. That now that we've moved past it and we got the MJ marriage and stuff, we can't ever really truly explore in the same way. Which I think is why I'm pushing for the movies and stuff to do it because I do think someone will write a really great story with Spider-Man and Black Cat in it that will be like an all-time great story. And I I know that you have a lot of fondness for Al Octopus more, and I, I like that story a lot too. It's funny that Ultimate you know decided to not go down that road by making her considerably older than Peter and having it be like used as a joke. But someday I think we will get like the true potential of this character and her relationship to Spider-Man fulfilled. But until then I'm loving her solo adventures and that's good enough for me. I guess, would you rank her number three on the loves of Peter list?
1: I think you have to, certainly longevity alone. That's where I would put her, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Okay, great. So why don't we talk about our Patreon? You know, if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, you can recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member on Patreon, because that's really how we keep this show going.
1: Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we're constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, Patreon members will hear Dan and I review Amazing Spider-Man number 64.
0: Why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content? That way, you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcasts, on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week they come out, instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed months later. And
1: if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print of Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus as his friends look on, drawn by official Marvel artist Federico Vincentini in color and inks. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy.
0: But we know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join us on Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. But
1: alas, Dan, it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk.
0: Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and Spider Madge. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger, comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels.
1: This was a lot of fun, Dan, but what do we got coming up on our next episode? Oh
0: boy, Mark. Well, I couldn't be more excited to announce the details of our next episode because it's going to be something a little bit different. Yes, we are doing a point .1 episode, truly an episode that doesn't count, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it because um, <laughs> we are going to be exploring some content of this episode a little bit deeper that's where our point ones are where there's a topic we want to talk about but we didn't really feel like it should dominate our discussion on the show but it shouldn't have been forgotten either so mark what are we going to be talking about on this point one episode yeah, we're going to be talking about the
1: Owl-Octopus War. Spectacular Spider-Man number 73 to 79. and marks a major change for the characters of Doc Ock and Black Cat. And it's probably the biggest story to occur outside of Amazing Spider-Man. A reflection of Stern's interest to avoid the major villains during his run, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, so if you uh, want to learn more about the Owl-Octopus War and, and this kind of pivotal story in Spider-Man and Black Cat's history not to mention Dr. Octopus, because it would change that character dramatically. Come tune in with us in a couple weeks. You know, and then after that, we got episode 300, Mark, which I'm very excited about. And I hope everybody's excited to help us celebrate at that point in time. We got something special where we're cooking up for everybody. Awesome. If you're tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, We'll be back soon on YouTube. So go there and subscribe and click on that bell to stay on top of all the new live recordings that we'll be doing in the future. But as always, this will remain a podcast first and foremost, and that will always remain consistent, just like how we end the show. And that is with our motto. So, Mark, until you begin bathing in milk surrounded by cats (laughs) and I begin questioning your hygiene, what is our motto? Our motto, of course, is
1: with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next Insta- yao